going deep. I feel like Halo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones of a long drive. Up close and personal. Just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Himself. Ah, him and Luke Shen have a miscommunication, but he stays with it. And it's nice in the corner. Gets it back to Tavares. On. And it goes in! It goes in! They've done it! The Leafs have finally done it! For the first time since 2004, the Leafs advance to the second round! Let's go! Let's go! That's right, it's the Going Deep podcast with myself, and it's a conversation that is dominating all my group chats, every platform I have via social media, the Toronto Maple Leafs, for the first time in my adult life, have won a playoff round. It really, it still sounds, coming out of my mouth, ridiculous. I want to know what it felt like to hear for a guy who literally has worn the burden of a fan base and communicated how they feel via every game, and that is Steve Dangle. Steve, congratulations, I believe, is owed to you. <laughs> I, I feel like you won as well. Your reaction, and I sent it to my father-in-law, you know, was priceless. It summed up how a, a nation of fans felt. Take me in that moment, because it's it's almost... It's different than, in, let's say, third period, up 4-1. They're essentially killing a 10-minute penalty just to get out of there with a win. Although we saw in this series that doesn't always work. Winning in overtime, it's like you could lose at any moment. You could win at any moment. Oh, wait, wait. wait it's in. We won. It's over. What was that moment like for you? Man, um, this many people didn't reach out to me when I got married. Like. <laughs> Like when I had a kid, like I, I can't, you know, people, people have been reaching out to me like I won. And honestly, like, I don't know it, like it's, it's, it's been a, a great reward. You know what, what actually drove it home was, was not the Leaf winning. That, that, that was, that was a lot of relief when the Leafs finally won. But now I feel the way I did in high school back when, they actually won a couple series, but only in the first half of high school for me, not the second. Um, where, like, I got a little bit of swagger, like a little bit of trash talk. And, and what did it for me was the Bruins losing. And it's not because I think the Panthers are a pushover in the second round or even that the Leafs are the favorite necessarily. It's all the sad Boston fans doing their own like coping with the loss and denial and anger and disappointment. And, you know, I've seen a few videos, a bunch of tweets, and I'm just like, man, that was really me for a decade and a half, like 16 seasons making a video after every game, coming up with a different way to talk about the Leafs losing in a different way 
from the year before or from the night before. It, it's just so relieving to talk about. You, you, know, you know what we got back? Leaf fans got the ability to talk about and cheer on their team like they're normal <laughs> for the first time in God knows how many years. The vast majority of fan bases for the vast majority of teams and the vast majority of sports do not have to talk about their team the way Leaf fans were forced to talk about it. Like, if if the Leafs choked in that series against the Lightning, we would not be welcome to the table of trash talk. And, like, that, that's such an important aspect of, of being a fan. And, I mean, when, when you're the team who always loses in the most spectacular, humiliating, uh, like, anti-Disney way, I mean, what, what can you really say? But you, you speak up in the friend group, and they just tell you shut up because your team stinks and always has. It's, it's just so nice. Like, we, we got our team back, man. We, we got the ability to talk about them back. Did any part of you want Boston? I thought it was really interesting that the fans were chanting, we want Florida, we want Florida, because in a way you, you've maybe ended or at least paused a dynasty, a team that's been to you know the last three cups and won two, the team that you, you had to essentially go through. You could slay this other demon, this other dragon, and go through the best regular season team of all time in Boston, one of the teams that gave so many bad playoff memories. Was any part of you wanting that exorcism or was any part of you like anybody but Boston? A a sick, genuinely despicable part of me wanted to slay that dragon (laughs) with, with the Boston Bruins. And maybe I'm just a, a glutton for punishment, but here's the thing. Uh, 65 wins, whatever. The Leafs are playing the better team. Um, I just don't think there's any accidents in the playoffs. I mean, all those years the Leafs lost, they deserve to lose, right? Like, no matter how they did it, they deserve to lose. Um, They deserve to win this year. Um, And I know that because they won. Like, I just don't think in a best-of-seven series you can fluke your way to a victory there. You had to do too many things. Too many things had to go right. Too many things had to go wrong for it to be a coincidence. And, you know, well, what if we replay the series? We're, you don't. Those are the rules. They, <laughs> they, they don't replay the series because the favorite team didn't win. So, you know, a lot of Leaf fans, I'm sure, are relieved that the Leafs don't have to take on the Bruins. I'd be lying if I said as soon as I turned that game on last night, I wasn't kind of cheering for the Panthers. But look at how the Bruins came back. Look at how they picked the Bruins uh, uh, apart. Uh, Look at how they won it in overtime. The Panthers were the better team, man. They were the better team, and that's who the Leafs are going to be playing. It's it's no cakewalk. See, I disagree that the better team always wins. I mean, yes, it's a seven-game series, but that's still relatively small sample size in relation to a long regular season. And and in some ways, it's just it's different. They're not applicable. They're different hockey. But when I look at all of those Leaf losses, and you started this by saying, thankfully, you don't have to think about them anymore. anymore. Now I'm peppering you about them. You you can't tell me, because I I think the one that probably stung the most for the fans around me was losing to the Canadians. Not only was it another Canadian team, 
it was another Canadian team that going into the playoffs was not very good. And you were up three, one and you lost your captain to an unfortunate injury. Like I, I, I still adamantly believe, even though the Canadians went on to march their way all the way to the Stanley cup, that the Maple Leafs were the better team. They just happened to lose in unfortunate fashion. But, but you think, you think otherwise. Well, I was sort of thinking about it in these terms today. It's easier to be the best um, than it is to be the champion. Um, Things have to go right for you to be the champion, and you have to overcome circumstances. And, you know, there's, there's an argument that the playoffs are a smaller sample size than the 82-game regular season, and the 82-regular season determines who's actually the best. I mean, you win 65 out of 82 times. You're the best. Okay, you you can be the best. You're not going to remember this season as if you were the best. You'd much rather be the champion. You know, it is what it is. You know, were, were the Raptors the best team in the NBA when they won in 2019, I'd argue no, but they did the harder thing. They won the championship. It's harder to win the championship than to be the best. That's true. And in fairness, that is the goal. The goal is to win the championship. Everything you do in the regular season is to put you in an optimal position in the postseason to win the championship, not just to be good in the regular season for the sake of being good in the regular season, which is why the matchup with Florida is fascinating because they look so tenacious, so physical, so athletic. They, all of those words that Brian Burke used to use that I would have to like Google afterwards, like pugnacity, I didn't know that was a word until he said it. Yeah. All of those words, to me, define the Florida Panthers right now. When you see them play, what sticks out to you? I mean, Matthew Kachuk is such a wrecking ball, and... Uh, I know Leaf fans are probably excited that they don't have to deal with Brad Marchand anymore. And I'm here to tell you this guy's better, which means this guy's worse. Um, he's younger. He's bigger. He's more physical. He's more offensively talented and dynamic. The, the only thing that Marchand might have over him is the defensive end of the puck. Th- this dude's a special player. And the fact that the Leafs have a pretty Good goalie in Ilya Samsonov, but he's not playing at 100%. Like, when Matthew Kachuk is the dude crashing your net over and over and over again, the chances of Samsonov finishing the series for the Leafs uh, decrease with with every game. The, that, that line of Kachuk and Bennett and Cousins, I'm looking at them, and that's the sort of line where the Leafs could be up 2-0, after the first two games, they win both games at home, but that line just waves against the shore, wears you down, and by the time the series gets to five, six, and seven, like that is the line that I think makes your life miserable when you're on the ice, but also off. You wake up in the morning, you're bruised, you're sore, you're achy, you got punched in the mouth the night before because you're not wearing a full cage, hurts to chew your food, no fun it's no fun man and they they keep getting challenged by everyone internally paul maurice keith kachuk matthew's father like they keep pushing all the right buttons calling them soft and challenging them not to be it's a bit of a scary matchup i mean they just went through the bruins that's walking through hell and back 
and coming out victorious. Yeah, the the fascinating thing, and you mentioned the goaltending and, and Samsonov, and, and give Chief Keith, Coach Sheldon Keith, his credit as he did pull the strings in terms of his lineup and, and matching lines, something that people were critical about his stubbornness around historically. Well, he, he pushed the right buttons in this series. There's an interesting question in terms of Samsonov, I'd argue, outside of the core four and, and Riley, you know, may have been the most valuable. Maple Leaf, he went up against his countrymen, someone he's looked up to, the best goalie of the era, and I think outplayed him. And yet, you've got potentially Matt Murray, who could get healthy as this thing expands. In your mind, is there any chance you see another netminder for the blue and white? I definitely think there's there's a chance we could see another netminder. I'm I'm less convinced it'll be Matt Murray. Like he's his he struggled so badly with his health this season, and when he's been healthy, he's played well. But you need to play him to discover that he's healthy. You know, you can practice and you can feel good and and you can look decent at the morning skate. It, it's you know not until you get into a game are you really going to figure things out. So. Like, to me, I'm almost looking at Matt Murray as the third option here. Uh, Samsonov has been good. Joseph Wool has given you no indication that he can't do this. Like, to me, he's a full-time NHL goaltender this year and next. Um, so, if another goalie gets into the series, I don't know if it's Murray. I think it's Wool. Wow. Love that. So, one thing I, I didn't love when I saw it, and I thought, actually, it's not only counter – Intuitive, but it's going to be counterproductive. It's the fact that Ticketmaster has allowed the Florida Panthers to essentially geofence who they sell tickets to in Sunrise, Florida. You need to have a local address tied to your credit card to buy tickets. And, and I already had friends in the group chat saying, man, it might be cheaper to go to Florida, direct flight, get tickets there than trying to get into Scotiabank for games one and two trying to take that option off the table. I don't know about you. I just think this can put a battery in the back of a bunch of Leafs fans who are going to flood the secondary market or who know snowbirds in Florida who are snowbirds themselves. And I think they're going to find their way in the arena and they're going to now take it over because you're tempting them. What did you make of that aspect of the news coming out before the series starts? And how do you think it's going to play out? Uh, everyone tries this. The Buffalo Sabres try it. The Ottawa Senators try it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, they keep proving time and time again that the people in those markets like money more than they like hockey. <laughs> and they, they, they put their head on and they go, you know what? I can make four or 500 bucks off this. And they're not stupid. Um, they sell their ticket. The Canadians go. Like in Vegas, too. This I, like this is only anecdotal evidence, but the, there was a, I think it was an Uber driver in Vegas. He got season seats when they uh, first debuted the team, and he was able to pay off his seats by basically just selling to uh, Albertan fans, like just the three games between the uh, Golden Knights and the Oilers and Flames, and then all of a sudden his season seats are paid off. Now that's a special scenario, you know, cheap expansion season seats. I get it, but nothing come hell or high water, is going to keep Leafs Nation out of that building in Sunrise. What do you what do you imagine the atmosphere to be like in both 
built up. Because I almost feel like, you know, on that bench, expect the players to feel a little bit liberated. Like, I know everyone is walking into work a couple inches taller, wearing their Leaf jerseys, not having to, you know, explain themselves. But I think the team must have a massive weight lifted off them because it's not going to be a talk about what's happening with their GM or, you know, do they need to break down this team or are they too slanted in terms of, you know, paying, you know, only one side of the ice. Now it's it's just going to be about hockey. Yeah. Like it's funny. People talk about how the, uh, how Scotiabank arena is quiet. I don't think it's quiet. I, I don't think people are paying attention properly. Um, the pops, are ridiculously loud. They're as loud as any arena in the league. The difference is the nervous, anxious anticipation, uh, the, the way people watch plays, the way, oh, and everything. They, we, we don't have the confidence to chant and scream all game long because we've been hurt too many times in too many ways. Bruins fans didn't have that. Like, even uh, forced with the next goal could send us home and create one of the most humiliating playoff losses in franchise history. Even in that, they were losing their minds. Because not just Bruins fans, but Boston sports fans expect to win because they should. They've had a proven track record for so long. Whereas Lee fans, I think... um, I mean, you expect to lose. And not only do you expect to lose, you expect to lose in the most spectacular fashion possible. So I'm interesting to see, I'm interested to see if, you know, if they can let their hair down a little bit, if, if they can roar with the rest of them, and if it's a little louder uh, between the goals as well. The goals came fast and furious from that core four that I mentioned. Marner, two goals, nine assists, 11 points. Matthews, five goals, four assists, nine points. Tavares, four goals, three assists, seven points. Nylander, two goals, five assists, seven points. Often, the best players on the ice were the ones paid the most for the blue and white. And essentially, you know, I I don't think sports is as difficult as we make it out to be sometimes. I think (laughs) your best players have to be your best players. And they will lift everybody up around them. What does this mean to that group? And, and Morgan Riley probably should be in the conversation as well. But everyone, after every year, it seemed, had a scenario where they thought you should remove one of them to balance the roster out. Outside, I don't think anyone really wants to remove Austin Matthews. But what does it mean for that group to get this done in the fashion that they did? I mean, it's proof of concept, right? Uh, it's proof you can do it. It's proof you can win, not just a playoff series, but a series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, I, I think that's lost in the equation, right? Like, three straight cup finals. Yes, they're beaten up. You know, yes, they're maybe not quite what they were. They're not an easy out. E- even them as a wounded animal in this equation, they're, they're not an easy out. So I think for the, the core guys, core four, five, whatever you want to call it, um, it's proof they can do it. I'm always amazed by how NHL careers go after junior careers, because like Taylor Hall, for example, like to take it away from the Leafs when he was with Edmonton and a little bit with New Jersey, he started to get this reputation as just like a guy you maybe can't win with or his team always chokes or whatever. And I mean, he was part of this Bruins team as well. 
that dude was one of the most prolific players in junior hockey. And it wasn't just that he was the best. It's that he found ways to win, like erase three, nothing serious deficits and play through injury and win the Memorial cup. Mitch Marner is like that. So like, you know, I even bought into, Oh, I don't know. Like, can they win with this guy? And then I went back and looked, I'm like, wait a sec. This dude won every single award there was to win. So what's the gap that he can't close in the NHL? I know it's a better league, but it seems to be a mental block with this team. Why, why do they have it and where did it come from? Is it because they had never lost before? They're not like accustomed to it because they've just been so prolific uh, throughout their you know, entire youth? that now that they're in the pros, they get in their own head and the pressure is different and you keep losing and you start thinking you're never going to win again. I don't know what that's about. I do know that it's dead and buried in the ground forever. Get rid of it. Move on. You're winners now. Keep going. And the guy that buried it is another local product in John Tavares. And there's been, you know, so many GTHL alum on this team as they've tried to get over the hump and make that run. But for him to get that goal in that moment, and really it wasn't that goal. He was key throughout this series. It's not like you know he was carried by the other members of that core for a guy who chose to be here. Like he had many options, was going to be handsomely paid no matter where he went and chose to be about that life and try to do this here, knowing what it would mean, both pro and con. What's it mean for him with the C on his sweater to get that goal? I, I look up at the rafters and uh, I, I see some of the names up there. And Wendell Clark, no one denies he was great. Doug Gilmore, no one denies he was great. Sundin, Sittler, Salming, no one denies they were great. But I look up and I go, I wish, I just wish they won here. And it's not their fault they didn't win here. I just, it, it haunts me that they, they didn't win here. And, you know, Fanuf didn't get any love from this fan base because not only did he not win, he never came close. Like Sundin got plenty of love, but ultimately they didn't win. At least they came close. With Tavares, I mean, no matter how many goals he scored or points he put up or whatever, it'd be impossible to look back at his reign as captain with the Leafs as a success at all if they never even got close. So this is him battling, which is something that the team has struggled with. And, and here's why. It, he didn't have it that night. No one's going to remember that, but he did not have a good game six. Absolutely no one is going to remember that. I think he was under 15 minutes of ice time. Uh, He did not have a shot on goal before that overtime. But just because you're not having a good game does not mean you can't have a great moment. And all of a sudden he has this beastly shift where no one can take the puck off him, spins, fires, gets a little bit of luck. No one cares about the luck. No one cares about the 14-some-odd minutes that he played before that. No one cares about all the shots he didn't take. All they care about is that goal and how it made them feel, and it's going to live forever. How do you not 
just drink that directly out of a bottle and have it fuel you for the rest of the playoffs. Well, hopefully the rest of the playoffs is longer than the next two weeks because can't wait to see what the reaction videos uh, are going to be like coming from you. My father-in-law said to me going into game six, if they lose, I can't do this anymore. It's affecting my mood. I'm not, I'm not sleeping well. Sports is supposed to be an escape. And if they can't do it this time, I might just have to opt out. I was like, one, there's zero chance you're doing that. I feel like <laughs> you've said that to me in various springs. But two, uh, he was flying. Uh, after they won that night, and he's been flying ever since. So I can just imagine what it's been like for you, who, one, can't just opt out because uh, you have to create content, uh, and it is a business <laughs> yep. for you. Uh, and two, you literally uh, have got what you do to the level of it being a business because it truly is a passion. It's a vocation. Uh, you live and breathe it, which is why we love living and breathing it with you. Thank you so much for joining. SDPN.ca is where not only your content is, but the entire Steve Dangle podcast network can be found. Uh, I can't wait for the streams to continue in the second round uh, and potentially beyond. Try to enjoy the moment. Oh, buddy, don't worry. I am. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You hear the passion in his voice and Reporters can get passionate as well. Someone who's been covering for this team for a long time is Sean McIndoo. You know him on Twitter as Down Goes Brown. Well, he's going down and getting deep with us as we talk all things Leafs advancing. Take a listen. So, Sean, thank you for joining in what is a very busy time and a busier time now that we not only have two Canadian teams into the second round, but what happens to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. And first and foremost, I just want, forget about you as a, as a journalist. I just want your perspective as a fan of the sport. When the puck goes in and they point to the center and the red light goes off and the bench goes nuts, your first thoughts were what? Oh boy. You know what? I, I hate to say this. This sounds awful. I mean, my first thought was I, I jumped out of my chair. I was sitting, I was watching the game alone because I was trying to uh, get a head start on writing some stuff. And I did. I, I jumped up and I was excited. I hate to say this. After that, my first thought was, hold on. I don't want to get too excited because we're in the review era. And who knows if there's some little bit of nonsense happened before the play. And I, I don't know if, if, if you remember, but Andre Vasilevsky stayed in his crease. He didn't go yes. anywhere. He didn't do that, you know, sprint off the ice that goalies often do. Uh, and in hindsight, it was just because he was, you know, he was he was frustrated. He was disappointed to have to have lost. But there was a part of me thinking, oh, did he see something? Was that maybe that deflection in front? Could that have been a kick? Could it have been something? So I I hate that because I hate that the NHL reviewing and nitpicking every little thing has has turned into this. But it it did kind of mute my reaction a little bit. Um, but then once. You know, you you saw the handshake line start, and you thought, okay, this is this is it. This is really for real. Um, it was uh, it it was it was a good feeling. And uh, look, as a Leaf fan, let's be honest, more relief than anything. More just knowing that, oh my God, for one year, at least for the first round, we're not actually going to be the laughing stock. Isn't that great? No question. But it's funny. I did a video essay about that release of relief finally. 
And as people opt to do in social media, they just decided to fight in the comments whether or not they watched the video. But it essentially became Leaf fans jubilant and fans of other teams saying, calm down, you shouldn't be excited. It's just round one. In fact, why are you so excited? You're a loser for being excited. So even when you win, you can't lose. What did you make of the dynamic of anti-Leaf hate that came out after the win? Screw those people. First of all, I watched the video. The video was awesome. If uh, oh, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, look, here's the deal. There, there are, uh, there, there's, there's three fan bases out there. There's Leaf fans, and we're, it's a big fan base. It's a huge fan base, quite possibly the biggest in the league. Not because they've earned it. Not because the team did anything to earn that. But it's you know, it's the history and geography and everything, uh, all lines up to mean that the Leaf Nation is one of, if not the biggest fan bases out there. And then there's a bunch of fans of, of other teams, of course. And then there are the fans of whoever the Leafs are playing. These weirdos who come crawling out of the woodwork, and I swear they spend more time thinking about the Toronto Maple Leafs than they do their own team, if they even have their own team. And they're the same people that will complain incessantly that, oh, the Leafs get so much coverage. Why are they on the front page of this website? Why are they leading off this broadcast? How come, oh, with the Athletic, you guys write more about the Leafs than you do about my Blue Jackets or Coyotes or whoever? Uh, you know, as if they can't understand. They can't possibly understand why the team with the biggest fan base gets more coverage. They're just completely perplexed by this. Um, and yet... For all their complaints about how much people talk about the Leafs, they never shut up about the Maple Leafs. And uh, look, it was it was pretty good times for those folks for the last few years. Every year, right around the playoffs, I mean, you got to come in and dunk on the Leafs and dunk on Leaf fans. Uh, and uh, you know, we we did our best to act like it didn't really bother us, and you know, maybe for some of us it didn't, but it it, it wasn't fun. And uh, and and for that, for the for the anti Leaf Brigade. It was pretty great times. And so, you know, when you see this reaction where the same people who 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 made the first round out to be the biggest thing ever for eight years in a row or whatever it was are now saying, ah, nobody even cares about the first round. It, that's just the dying thrashing around of a, 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 a sad, bitter group of people who had it going really good for a while and now the gig is up and and they're they're desperately trying to get in a few more shots. I don't know. I, I saw a bunch of it on Saturday night. Like Saturday night, the, the Leafs have won like 20 minutes ago, and some dude is like trying to as as if he's going to be able to to rain on the parade. It, it was adorable, frankly, um, but uh, you know, pour one out for those people because they lost their, their their main source of joy in their uh, sad little lives uh, came to an end, uh, at least temporarily. We'll we'll see what the second round holds. It was somewhat petty, and I've known to be petty at times, but I also think it's somewhat petty. The move that the Florida Panthers and Ticketmaster have done trying to lock out Leaf fans from the road games in this series by making sure that only local addresses tied to the credit cards purchasing tickets can go through. I have a sneaky suspicion it's going to have the exact opposite of the desired effect. And Leaf fans are just going to take it as a personal challenge. But what do you make of... I suppose the secondary market, initial market ticket gamesmanship that we're seeing in the series. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. If you're the secondary market, if you're what we used to call the scalpers, it's that was good news for you because it, uh, you know, it's just going to make your job even easier. And look, I, I, to some extent, I get it. As a Leaf fan, I love it when I turn on a road game and I see the Leafs have taken over the building. I love it in Ottawa, where I'm from, where it's, I mean, it, it's, it's just become a joke at this point how, how the, it's, it's essentially a home game for the Leafs. Uh, you see it, it kind of goes 50 50 with Montreal a little bit when they go out west, even down Buffalo and, and even some of the US teams. I mean, there was, there was a, a lot of Leaf fans representing in Tampa. Um, I get, why a lot of people roll their eyes at this and at the same time i also get it like you know as a blue jays fan i don't like when a bunch of yankee fans show up for those series so uh i get why you don't want that i get why as you know as a competitive advantage you want the building to be packed with panther fans in this case um realistically though it's it's not going to happen and uh you know first of all a lot of leaf fans do have addresses down in the states uh you know they're the the snowbirds and that sort of thing or they know somebody who does um i mean the the joke for so long has been that you know the reason leaf fans show up in all these other buildings is because it's cheaper to get tickets and a hotel and a flight and rent a car for some visitors rink than it is to go to get good tickets in toronto uh, it might be cheaper to buy property down there and use that as your address, and uh, you, you still come out ahead compared to what uh, round two tickets are going to cost in in Toronto. So, uh, I guess I, I can't knock the Panthers for trying, uh, but it's it's not going to go well for them. The Leafs, uh, Leaf Nation will will be represented really well, and unlike the first round, uh, you'll actually be able to tell who's who because the color schemes are different for once. That's right. Talk to me about the business of. The Leafs advancing, certainly not upset as a Sportsnet employee that there's two Canadian teams continuing to push in the playoffs. But I wonder, you know, bigger than necessarily MLSC from a league perspective, what this means. I always imagine that the league loves American teams with American markets moving forward and that if they got a Stanley Cup that was, you know, South Beach versus Vegas, uh, they wouldn't be necessarily mad about it because uh, all of the talk shows would have a fun locale to uh, to do work. And Good Morning America w- would be out talking to the local fans about when they learned that they had a hockey team. W- what do you think the business aspect of the Leafs continuing to push this thing forward means for the team and the league more broadly? Yeah, I mean it's 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 tough and it's it's. It's a little bit weird because for years now, decades now, in the Gary Bettman era, we've just assumed that the league is focused on America as its market. That's where they, they the money is. And certainly when you look at where the teams moved and who got the expansion teams and, and an awful lot of that was very much aimed at growing the game in, in the U.S. And I'm sure there was a time where you could say, you know what, Gary, if Gary Bettman could wish on a, a magic lamp and say no Canadian teams in the final for the next decade, I want New York and Chicago and L.A. and those teams that, that he largely did get, that he'd be happy for that. But at the same time, uh, look, having the Leafs go deep and the Oilers uh, isn't going to be great for our, our new friends down in the States at ESPN and TNT. But those guys are locked in on 10-year deals. And, uh, you know, the, the Canadian deal is the next one that's up. I, I don't think Gary Bettman hates the idea of having the Leafs as well as the Oilers potentially go on deep runs 
and get those ratings up sky high, break a few records. Uh, and, uh, you know, even I don't know if he'd want the Canada versus Canada Stanley Cup final. Uh, you know, he he may uh, he may grimace a little bit at that, but it would break every record in this country for uh, views on an NHL hockey game, at least. Uh, and that wouldn't be too bad to have in the back pocket when it's time in a few years to to sit down and work out that uh, that next Canadian deal. Obviously, and you look at you know the tickets coming in, everything like that, the revenue is going to go up. And this is a league where it's a 50-50 revenue split. So that's you know the more money they make, that means the escrow goes down. It means maybe the cap can go up. All of that stuff. Uh, it doesn't hurt. And, and then I guess the other piece of this is. You know, look, I, I I said my piece about all the people out there who don't like the Leafs, but there's a lot of people out there who don't like the Leafs. And it's not a bad thing when you're selling an entertainment product to have a villain. Uh, and if some people have decided that the Leafs are going to be the villain, then okay, the villain has to win every now and then, or at least has to get a few shots in. You can't have the villain just get crushed in the first act every single time uh, and expect people to uh, to keep up that... that uh, that passion of, of wanting to see it eventually uh, you know, if, if the Leafs are going to be your villain, they got to go on a bit of a run. They got to look like not the bunch of hapless chokers that they've looked like for so long. So uh, even from that perspective, this is, this is probably a good thing. And uh, uh, look, the, 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 lots of people will say Leaf fans, anti-Leaf fans, everybody in between says this league tends to be more fun when the Leafs are front and center. And, and finally uh, we get to see that past uh, the, the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, Edmonton and Toronto marching all the way to potential All-Canadian Stanley Cup final would be a disaster for ESPN and TNT. But in this country, you would be looking at essentially golden goal level Vancouver 2010 Olympic numbers four to seven times, which I, I can't even imagine. And, and think of how far social media has come and, and streaming and whatnot. It, it, the amount of eyeballs that would see that would be outstanding. It, the eyeballs that saw the proceedings that I'm more fascinated with uh, is Kyle Dubas because we saw the emotion from him and the release. And when you look at, you know, the, the tenure of John Ferguson Jr. and Brian Burke and Dave Nonis, no matter what their teams did in the regular season, it all came back to, what happened in the postseason, and people were having at this point similar questions about Kyle and what that would mean for him moving forward. What does this first round win and potentially more wins to come mean for the future of Kyle? Yeah, I mean it's it's a vindication for him and for his vision for this team. I mean, this is a guy who, uh, you know, he he built a big chunk of this team some of the some of the key draft picks were were already in place uh by the time he took over uh officially as gm but uh this this team's got his his fingerprints all over it uh certainly if they lost he was going to be the one to take the blame he, he almost certainly wasn't going to come back and everybody was going to uh point fingers at every move he had made and ryan o'reilly wasn't the right guy and he, he rolled the dice on the goalies and that didn't work out and he traded too many draft picks away for guys that didn't help um, it, you know, and, and I, I think he, he would have landed on his feet somewhere. I think he's a very smart guy. I think he's well-respected around the league, whether it was, you know, the openings in Pittsburgh or Ottawa or somewhere else uh, down the line. Uh, I, I don't think this was going to be the end of Kyle Dubas, but it, it certainly would have been the end of this vision of this team. And, uh, this is a guy who, I mean, year after year, the, the, 
the the criticism certainly that that I have leveled at Kyle Dubas over the years is is the way that every time it went bad, you'd get this post series press conference and he'd sit down and he'd just be going, oh man, we're going to roll it back. No changes. Don't even ask me about trading anyone. I'm not going to do it. We're not breaking up the core. We're not doing that. We're going to tinker around the edges. We'll bring in some new depth guys, but don't even, don't even start asking me about who I'm going to trade or anything like that. I'm not doing it. I believe in this group. And, and he did, he, he, you know, publicly, at least he was completely consistent on saying, I believe in this group. Uh, and I'm, and he made it clear that if if the ship was going to go down, he was going down with the ship, and uh, and the ship for once didn't go down. And so now, uh, you, you know, you flip it around. Now you're sitting there going, wait a second, maybe this Ryan O'Reilly deal was the perfect deal, and this Samsonov guy, well, hey, he just play, outplayed Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, that looks uh, that looks like a brilliant move, and and on down the list. Um, and, and it's ridiculous if you take a step back. On some level, it's ridiculous that uh, you know if the Leafs. If if that if that puck doesn't bounce into the net off the Tavares uh, spin around in Game Six, and we're talking about going into a Game Seven tonight, everybody's freaking out. Everything you know, that one puck bounce changes the entire uh, uh, narrative around this team. But that's how sports goes, and that's it's worked against him for years and years. Finally, it pays out for him. And, and I guess the last thing I would say on him is, uh, it, you know, it's funny. I, I grew up in the old time Leafs. Right there, or at least what I consider the old time Leafs. I, there's people out there older than me who who go back even further. But I grew up in like the Harold Ballard era, so the Norris Division Maple Leafs, Wendell Clark, Motor City Smitty, uh, John Brophy behind the bench, uh, guys like that. Doug Gilmore when he came over, and then later you get you know the Darcy Tucker, Ty Domi, Gary Roberts era, and uh, <clears throat> this Leafs team, as good as they are, they they've never had that fiery character. You know, I mean, Matthews is a little too cool for school. Tavares is always even keeled. Um, you know, Morgan Riley gets a little fired up sometimes, but not too much. Um, and even Sheldon Keefe, who seems on the inside like a, a very fiery, passionate guy, is very obviously trying to keep that down under on on the bench. Uh, and so of all the guys to suddenly become like the face of that passion again, it's Kyle Dubas up in the box, you know, with the camera on him all the time. And he's screaming at fans and he's pumping the fist and everything. And I don't think Leaf fans, I don't think we realized how much we needed that until we actually saw it. And it was like, all right, there is somebody here who's, you know, as passionate as we are, who seems to care as much as we, who's into this and screaming and punching walls and, and doing all of that stuff the way that we are. Uh, it was kind of cool to see that. And, and we haven't had, maybe that's been the missing piece and, uh, I guess maybe that's the one piece Kyle could never go out and get. So he just decided, the, well, the hell with it. I'll do it myself. <laughs> no question. Yeah. He was painted as like boy wonder analytics kid as if he's just punching things into a spreadsheet and they're spitting out a formula and that's how he makes his decisions. Yeah, because he's young and he has glasses. And because he 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 knew what course he was, and so everybody just made him out to this like nerdy computer boy. And he's this hockey lifer from the Sioux who's been like around rinks his whole life. And yeah, we're seeing that come out finally. Yeah. There's definitely some Sue that came out of him that night. I also shout out to him for uh, when he's slamming the table, remembering to pick up his phone. Cause I definitely would have left it and forgot about it. He was so fired up, but he will be heading eventually to Florida as the March for the Maple Leafs continues throughout the playoffs. You'll be covering it down goes Brown. You can be found website downgoesbrown.com on twitter at downgoesbrown obviously writing 
great stuff for The Athletic and the co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. And for all that, make sure you get the book, Down Goes Brown, which is available as an audio book. Now, I, I appreciate you spending some time in what is a very busy time to lend your wisdom to our audio podcast right here. Thank you so much and enjoy it. Right on. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully we get to do this a few more rounds. So that's it for us. Thank you so much for tuning into this All Leafs edition of the Going Deep podcast. We've got some good ones coming up for you in a little bit. I'm going to catch up with Cabral Richards, who's doing a great job on our Hockey Night in Canada broadcast throughout the postseason. And I'm going to talk to a now frequent guest. Catch Amy. She's got an ESPN 30 for 30 that's coming out. And we are celebrating her and many others for Asian Heritage Month. In this space throughout the month of May, we're going to be profiling Canadians making an impact in and around sports. Thanks for listening. Take care.